Sentire Media. Hello you. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 122, Braccio da Montone's Last Stand, 1417 to 1424. In the last few episodes, we have been following the life of professional soldier, adventurer, and now Lord of Perugia, Braccio da Montone. In the previous episode, we saw that the Great Western Schism had been solved with the election of Pope Martin V. Now, this had been a bit problematic for Braccio, whose operations had been in Umbria, Le Marche and Romagna, which were in the very heart of the Papal States, if not coinciding with most of the Papal States themselves. Braccio was one of the many warlords and nobles who had taken advantage of the long absence of the popes during the Avignon papacy to extend their influence over the surrounding lands. This was not to say that there was not a struggle for power between local lords and the popes as their overlords before and after the Avignon papacy, of course. Anyway, here we are with a new pope ready to head back to Rome and take possession of the Papal States, eyeing Braccio with great suspicion, and Braccio awaiting the return of the pope, eyeing him with great suspicion in turn. A head-on collision was inevitable. We said that Rome was not really a place you could just wander into and take possession of, unless you were, of course, Braccio da Montone, and the Pope was not. So Martin made his way to Florence to hang out a bit and start to manoeuvre, plot and scheme. Braccio didn't just sit and wait for the Pope to do his thing. If you have been following his adventures at all in the last two episodes, you know that that was not his style. As the Pope sat and planned, Braccio took two important cities, that of Assisi, the town of St. Francis, and that of Spoleto. That was the last straw for the Pope. He called in the Kingdom of Naples, who obliged by supplying him with an army that was only partially successful since Braccio was able to manoeuvre and limit the damage. It was at this point that the Pope went into a nuclear hissy fit and launched the most powerful tool in his arsenal. Braccio, on the 10th of August, 1419, was excommunicated. It was at this point that some cracks started to show in the apparently invincible movement of Braccio. One of his captains betrayed him and went over to his one-time friend and now nemesis, Muzio Attendolo Sforza. Braccio didn't take this lying down and duly defeated Sforza and the traitor captain once again, sending them across the Tiber and ready to threaten Rome itself. This 
basically showed to everyone that the Pope's excommunication was not so much a sign of strength, but of weak desperation. Indeed, Sforza continued to lose to Braccio, and eventually Martin was forced to sue for peace. The Pope grudgingly, very grudgingly, invited Braccio to Rome. The procession, which made its way to the Eternal City, showed how far Braccio had come. Indeed, it represented Perugia, Foligno, Fabriano and Camerino, Forlì and Assisi, Orvieto and Rieti. There was a great show of peace and reconciliation with the Pope, with a lot of long, wordy oaths of loyalty, and so on, and forgiveness, but the whole time, the Pope had already given Sforza the task to set up a new army, and Braccio was already thinking of how to place his next blow. As this was going on in the palaces of power, the people in the streets came out with a rhyme that would enrage the Pope even further, becoming quite well known at the time. Braccio valente vince ogni gente, Papa Martino non vale un quattrino. Brave Braccio defeats all peoples, Pope Martin is not worth a penny. Rhyme or no rhyme, Martin asked Braccio as a sign of loyalty to head on up to the rebellious Bologna where the Bintivoglio had risen against the Pope. Braccio, as usual, took care of business. A period of peace ensued in which he turned to taking care of his family his children, and his old mother, while his original wife had died by this time. He also took care of his city, consolidating the walls and making plans for another ring and generally setting out the city, organising the system of piazze, the squares, and even bringing the love of the rich families for opulence under control with specific directives. He even worked on some hydraulic projects, with one particular project to regulate the levels of Lake Trasimeno. He also took some time to organise marriage alliances for his children and even for himself, marrying his second wife, Nicolina Davarano, a widow of the Malatesta from the Rimini and Romagna area. This new wife had the luxury of moving into a castle that Braccio had had furnished with glass windows and internal toilets with a working flushing system. By now it was 1422, and soon events would be set in motion that would either bring Braccio da Montone to the highest possible heights and the greatest glory, or bring everything crashing down. We'll see what happened after a quick word from our sponsor. So, we mentioned before the break that things were about to change for Braccio. Indeed, in 1422, a request for help came from an unexpected source. Joanna II of Naples and her ally, Alphonse of Spain, in their struggle against the Pope and his ally, the French Anjou. 
Braccio jumped at the chance, heading down, raising hell in Abruzzo, and then entered Naples in triumph. He then proceeded to defeat Muzio Attendolo Sforza once again and was rewarded with the ancient title of Prince of Capua in 1423. He could not get much higher. Or could he? It was in this year, 1423, that Pope Martin V managed to get his act together and pulled off quite a considerable diplomatic feat, perhaps leveraging the fact that Braccio, in the eyes of many, had gotten too big for his breeches. He managed to get together a coalition that included the French Anjou, Filippo Maria Visconti of Milan, and even Queen Joanna, who had so recently asked Braccio for help and made him Prince of Capua. Braccio, no stranger to politics and military strategy, knew that he was facing the greatest challenge ever. It seemed that, at this point, he gave his wife two gifts, a crown and a black veil, the message being very clear. She would either be a queen or a widow. He made the first move, as always, besieging the city of L'Aquila. As always, his enemies sent Sforza to confront him. This time, however, his old friend and enemy did not have time to be defeated once again because he drowned as he was crossing the Piscara River in January 1424. When Braccio received the news, he wept. Meanwhile, the Pope's main army was ready and the command was assigned to a man by the name of Jacopo Caldera. Just to make double sure he was doing everything right, the Pope decided to excommunicate Braccio again. By the time the armies met, June had come around. Once again, Braccio was facing a summer battle. Once again, the odds were stacked against him. Once again, he had been the one to prepare and choose the battleground. He also knew that this would be the definitive battle. It would not be a skirmish, a minor engagement in preparation for another battle, for another day. This time, it was all or nothing. For this reason, he did not listen to those close to him who suggested a tactical retreat. He gave the order to one of his captains to guard the gate of the besieged city of L'Aquila. The man's orders were to keep his position no matter what happened. He also placed his infantry up on a hill where they could observe the battlefield below and intervene when called upon. The battle occurred on the 2nd of June, 1424, and was initially relatively balanced with Braccio using his usual tactics, i.e. dividing his forces into small mobile units that would attack and then retreat. At a certain point, the tide started to turn in favour of the more numerous papal forces. But Braccio knew that he had his trusted infantry waiting to intervene and gave the order for them to charge into battle. A lot of controversy would follow the battle, and accusations about what had happened, 
with some supporters of Braccio accusing the infantry leaders of having sold out to the enemy. The fact of the matter is, whether paid off or because they simply did not hear or see the command in the confusion of the battle below, the infantry did not intervene. They stood and watched as the battle unfolded. To make matters worse, the captain that had been left in position to guard the gates of the city of L'Aquila, again, whether because he had betrayed or simply wanted to try and help with the battle, abandoned his post, allowing thousands of angry citizens, exhausted from months of siege, to come rushing out and join the fighting. Some accounts say that these citizens even included women and children and came armed with pitchforks, scythes and anything they could get their hands on. Things grew worse and worse for Braccio as he started to become isolated in the melee. At a certain point, he spied the insignia of the enemy commander, Caldera, and rallied around 200 knights to try and make a last desperate charge at the enemy general. This last charge of Braccio did not reach its objective. As night after night fell, Braccio was isolated and lost his horse. It was at this point that he did something he had never done before. Seeing that the situation was lost, he decided to try and flee the battlefield, and even managed to get back on his horse and make it across the river. However, a lowly soldier had followed his movements from the battlefield and managed to sneak up on him, dealing a crushing blow to the back of his head, knocking him out. He was surrounded by a group of soldiers who pierced him multiple times before a contingent of enemy knights arrived to save him and take him to their general. For the first and last time in his life, Braccio da Montone had lost a battle. During the five days and nights that followed, Braccio would swim in and out of consciousness, but it seemed he never said a word refusing to ask for forgiveness or to surrender. He finally died of his wounds on the 5th of June, 1424. A victorious and gloating Pope Martin V made sure that the excommunicated Braccio was shamefully buried in unconsecrated ground. The life and adventures of the warlord, adventurer, knight, nobleman, lord of Perugia, prince of Capua, was over. After the death of Pope Martin, a nephew of Braccio would then take his remains to his native Perugia, where he remains to this day, although very recently he did go for a little visit to his native Montone. So, that sums up our little tour that has taken us through central Italy, Umbria, Le Marche, and parts of Romagna, as well as down to the Kingdom of Naples and visits into Tuscany, seeing the Malatesta of Rimini, the city and commune of Bologna that then fell under the influence of the Bentivoglio and eventually back under that of the papacy, the Montefeltro of Urbino, and we saw Braccio become the Lord of Perugia. This was just an example of the many figures that we would find like Braccio in this period in Italian history, and I hope it can be a useful example to allow you to imagine just some 
of what was going on in Italy at this time. Thank you very, very much for listening. Thanks in particular to my wonderful Patreon supporters, who I like to thank, starting with the second part of the Margherita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Kevin, Marcelo P, Mark P, Marxist-Leninist Sicilian, Mella, Michus Porchus, Mike M, Neville, Niels, Paradise, Patrizia Kappa, Roberta D, Rod L, Rodney N, Rudy F, Scott L, Sean, Shauna, Shelby, Stephen, Tap Dance Down Under, and TO5, and of course to the tippy top Maria Montessori and Dante Ligiri level Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Brandon S, David A, Peter W, Kevin O, David L, Renat and Sen. I would also like to extend a very warm A History of Italy welcome to our new Patreon supporter, Jane J. Welcome aboard, Jane. Welcome to the family. If, like them, you would like to have access to extra content with new episodes coming out in the next few days, you can go to patreon.com forward slash a history of Italy or click through from our support page at a history of Italy.com. You can also just get in touch with an email hello at a history of Italy.com to send in questions for the big question and answer session coming up in a little while. Or just say hello, tell me how your day is going, and so on. Don't hesitate to get in touch also via social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, if you haven't done so, now would be a really, really good time to help out by leaving a review. Thank you very much to those who have done so recently. Once again, thanks very much to you for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. Tira Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com and find out how to submit your show.